third annual Apopka International Jazz Fest, starring Pebo Bryson with host Kim Waters, along with Kayla Waters and Ken Ford, Saturday, March 25th at the Apopka Amphitheater. For complete details and tickets, log on to ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, coming up on this week's episode, we are happy to welcome back the new voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Chip Carey. We'll talk about his time in Atlanta and moving back to his hometown to call the Cardinals. Chip is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Meanwhile, as I record this on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, it's uh, about 2.15 p.m. In the midst of March Madness, you know, I always take these two days off from the day job every year to enjoy the frolic of basketball from noon to midnight on these first round games, which are spectacular. And, of course, I play for the upsets. I would, if it, even if it blows up my bracket, I will root for the upset. And we already got a couple of those yesterday with Princeton taking down Arizona and then Furman taking down uh, Virginia right here in Orlando with a, a late steal and three-pointer to win that contest. Good stuff there. And uh, we're also, uh, as I record this, a 14 seed Kennesaw State with an 11-point lead midway through the second half on Xavier. So that could be a 14-3 upset there. So... This is what I have come to learn, especially recently in the NCAA tournament. When you look at a 6-11 matchup now, to me, those games are now toss-ups. You know, 7-10's been for a long time. 6-11 has evolved into that. 12-5 is very much becoming closer and closer to a toss-up. Uh, just talking about the parity in college basketball. And now... I think the 13-4 is going to evolve into the one that we get once or twice every year, like the 12-5, as that becomes more commonplace. So it makes the game a heck of a lot more interesting. The other piece I like about this is when these teams from the mid-majors and smaller conferences have success in March. You know, I think if you don't follow mid-major or smaller conference basketball, you're missing out. There's a lot of great basketball that happens outside of the Blue Blood conferences, if you will. So, uh, you know, try to mix a little bit of that in as you watch college basketball. And I know March brings out a lot of people, you know, they don't watch until March Madness hits. And that's, you know, and, and that's personal choice whatsoever. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of great basketball. And this tournament just gets more... To me, it gets better every year. You know, I still, you know, when it went to 68, we did the first four games. Now they've, that's been going on for about 12 years now. So it looks like, you know, they've, they've done a solid with that as much as I don't think it was needed. That, you know, it does bring an opener to the tournament and the city of Dayton certainly welcomes it and supports it greatly with open arms. So, uh, you know, just please stop the talk about expanding to 96. This is a product that is perfect as it is. So don't 
mess it up. We're back with Chip Carey right after this. Central Florida, it's Pebo Bryson. Double Grammy and double Oscar award winner, Evo Bryson, performing live at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival, Saturday, March 25th, at the beautiful Apopka Amphitheater, hosted by world-renowned saxophonist Kim Waters, along with urban keyboardist Kayla Waters, and jazz violinist, the king of string, Ken Ford. It's an evening under the stars, where you'll enjoy incredible music, delicious food and drinks, along with music lovers such as yourself. It's Evo Bryson Live. Me and the girls will be right there. Saturday, March 25th at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival. Gates open at 4 p.m. For complete details and tickets, visit ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. Sponsored in part by United Arts of Central Florida, Orlando Health, Florida Blue, and Tito's Handcrafted Vodka. Get your tickets now. All right, my pleasure to welcome back for his annual visit to my show. He is now the new voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. We welcome back Chip Carey. Chip, thanks for being here. Hey, Jeff, my pleasure. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about this. You know, so you, you know, I'm sure are chomping at the bit at the beginning of every baseball season to get underway, but I imagine with this, uh, this new journey for you and being back in your hometown, that probably has a little more sizzle to it. Would, would, would that be safe to say? Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, you know, when you're you're in your mid fifties and you make a career change like I did after being in one place for twenty years or so, it's kind of shocked at the system. But uh, you know, I made it very clear that I, I had hoped to stay in Atlanta my entire career, and it just got harder and harder to you know, try to keep staying. And uh, the Cardinals had an opportunity to to bring me home, so to speak, and I was at the top of their list apparently, and we were able to come to terms. And I'm excited and thrilled, as you said, it's my hometown. It's where I grew up, falling in love with baseball, and still have lots of friends and family there and so yes it's a new adventure it's still baseball it's still a very passionate fan base it's a great organization but just different colors different part of the country and uh again i guess a a different tradition as it were that i'm very very excited and honored to be a part of yeah you know you and i are basically the same age so you know i can think back you know when you're growing up you're seeing you know Lou Brock, Bob Force, Ted Simmons, Keith Hernandez, Ozzy Smith, Willie McGee, uh, Bruce Suter, a great manager in White Herzog. I go on forever with, with uh, the, the the great teams at that time as you grow up. That that has to be very special uh, to be able to be the voice of the team you that you grew up watching. Well, yeah, and I was a kid that grew up listening to Jack Buck and Bob Starr and uh, Mike Shannon on the on the radio and TV side of things. Ron Jacober too, Jay Randolph. I mean, those were my broadcasting heroes as a kid growing up. And you're right. Uh, the Cardinals doing an amazing job of honoring their past and understanding and embracing their history. And uh, there are some other places where I've been that don't want to do that and don't do as nearly a good of a job of that. And as someone who loves and appreciates the history of the game and loves and appreciates all those names that you mentioned because they were so instrumental in my childhood, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very comfortable fit for me. And, uh, you know, just the other day here in Jupiter, Florida, uh, Ted Simmons was at a, a sponsor function. He was my guy. He was my favorite player as a kid. And I've known him for a lot of years. And Got to put my arms around him. He said, "I'm." He said, "I'm so glad you're here. You're the perfect guy for this job." And when when somebody says that to you, uh, whether they're your childhood hero or not, uh, you can't help but feel, ex- feel excited about the decision you made. And uh, as you said, all those names and faces will be around the ballpark, and I can't wait to renew acquaintances with them and honor the the great things that they did in the past. Because as I've said so many times, whether it's in Atlanta or Chicago or now St. Louis, those of us who are working there. Uh, have a huge job, and that's to promote that legacy and pass the baton, and, and hopefully, 
we understand that we're standing on the shoulders of giants and hopefully we'll achieve giant status at some point. Somebody will stand on our shoulders when they carry that tradition and that honoring of history forward someday. Well, let's talk about the uh, St. Louis Cardinals of this year. And obviously, I think one of the big storylines is, you know, the heart and soul of the Cardinals, Yadier Molina, is retired. Uh, that said, you know, they get a pretty good catcher coming in in Wilson Contreras from the rival Cubs. Uh, but it'll definitely be a, a, a shifting of leadership in that clubhouse to some extent, I would think. Hey, well, it's going to be different. There's no question about it. Look, I didn't see Yadier play an awful lot because I was in Atlanta for 20 years. But uh, everyone raves about his leadership abilities, his ability to handle pitching staff, his defensive prowess, his... Uh, being a pitching coach and, and a defensive coach while on the field is, is par excellence, bar none. Uh, but yeah, he, he, offensively, he struggled. He wasn't a good offensive player last year. and has been in decline offensively for the last couple, I think, if we're going to be fair about it. And so you're right. They went out and got Wilson Contreras from the Cubs, who's been one of the top run producers at his position, not just in the National League, but in the entire Major League. So he's going to add some thump to an already very powerful and very good Cardinal lineup with Arenado at third and Paul Goldschmidt over at first base, um, you know, the question is, how is he going to do defensively? How quickly can he gel with this pitching staff? Remember, Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis and Genesis Cabrera and Andrew Palante and uh, Giovanni Gallegos are pitching in the World Baseball Classic. They're not here and won't be until uh, their teams are eliminated. And so he's got to sort of work on the fly and figure things out in a big hurry when they get back over that final week before we break camp and start regular season play on the 30th. But the Cardinals are excited about Contreras and what he's going to bring. Uh, he's going to be here for a long time, and the Cardinals wouldn't have signed him if they didn't feel very confident that he'd be able to capably and ably fill Yadier Molina's almost unfillable shoes. You do bring up an interesting point about the uh, World Baseball Classic because it is an interruption of you know, preparation for the season. Uh, how do you feel about that that kind of timing with the, with, with the WBC? Yeah, there's no good time to do it. Uh, and I think the risk is obviously pitchers don't want to try to throw meaningful games in high stress and high leverage situations in early March. Their arms just aren't ready for it. Uh, the international schedule doesn't allow it to, to work any other time. I mean, you could maybe try to do it in the middle of our baseball season and have a week long celebration of baseball play the finals then with all the, you know, the best players. Uh, I don't think that there's really a whole lot of palette for that. Because teams want to risk the injuries to players. Look at Edwin Diaz, right? He's lost for the year, and that's a big crimp for the New York Mets. No fault of his or their own. They're without one of their best players. I love the WBC. I love what they're trying to accomplish. I love the fact that it's promoting our game. I love the fact that guys want to play for their country to the extent that they can. But there really isn't a great time to do it. And it is somewhat disruptive, especially, as I said, for the catchers who are trying to figure out who the hell their pitchers are and what they throw and what they like to do. Uh, that's tough to do when they're not here and, and they're working in camp with minor league guys that they probably won't see. But uh, it's the same for all 30 teams. You just got to adjust and move on the fly. The Cardinals feel like they got a lot accomplished before those players left for the WBC. They feel like they'll have ample time to get it done when they come back. And as we said, with the clock ticking down to under two weeks until opening day, there's no choice but to make that happen. Well, certainly the the Cardinals, uh, you know, as far as going into twenty twenty three, what what do you see as a, as a, when when they do break camp? Uh, they're a good team. They won the division last year. I think they're the odds on favorite to do the same this year. Uh, I think a, a couple of things are are going to be tantamount and paramount to their success. Number one, what's Adam Wainwright got left? He's in his age forty forty one season. And he really had a serious decline in September last year. Uh, he feels like it was a mechanical flaw that he's going to be able to correct. And I wouldn't bet against him. Uh, number two, you've got to have some uh, return to form of Tyler O'Neill, who's going to be this team center fielder probably. He had 30 home runs a couple of years ago, slumped really badly last year. Dylan Carlson was also injured and banged up and was a, a shadow of his 
of you know his talented self uh, in one of the outfield corners for the Cardinals last season. Got to fix that. They've got to figure out how they're going to stack up their middle infield. Tommy Evans going to be the shortstop. Brendan Donovan, who won a Gold Glove last year, is going to play all of, all over the infield, but he's probably going to be the second baseman unless Nolan Gorman comes in and does what he's been doing, which is hit home runs and not strike out. So the, the way it's been termed here in Jupiter is it's camp opportunity. With so many guys away from the WBC, a lot of young players are getting a lot of reps and opening up a lot of eyes as to what they are and what they aren't, which is a, a wonderful benefit. But there's a whole lot of stuff that Ali Marmol and his staff have to sort out. And right now, as it looks, the Cardinals probably have too many good players and not enough roster spots, which is a really, really good problem for an organization to have. Of course, you mentioned Ali Marmol, and, and, and you know, from right here in Orlando, as a matter of fact, and the youngest manager in the major leagues, but he's accomplishing a lot very quickly. <laughs> yeah, he's very calm and, and very measured and very open and transparent. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, my, my brief time and getting to know him a little bit. Uh, he lives near me over in the St. Augustine area in the off season, so that's kind of cool. We have a nice connection there. Uh, but he's fiery. He protects his players. They, they enjoy playing for him. And the Cardinals don't make many mistakes when it comes to that position. Uh, they saw something in him in the minor leagues as a player, as a manager, as a coach that, that were endearing it to them. And he's very, very open to, from what I've perceived, to the analytical side of things. But he also relies a lot on the eye test. And he's a very straight shooter and, and tells you what he thinks, which is, for those of us in media, extremely refreshing in this day of uh, calculated sound bites and, and uh, you know, shall we say, sterile messages that we get sometimes in other quarters, but uh, really enjoy getting to know him, really enjoy what he does, and he's, as you said, going to have a really good team to manage, which makes all of us look like geniuses, and in my case, that's a really, really hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- what did you make of the, 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 the C.B. Buckner thing where uh, C.B. refused the handshake? You know, I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of baseball. I've heard a lot of commentators, you know, C.B. Buckner's not considered, you know, high level in the umpiring field. You know, you know, does baseball have a problem where they have to consider that C.B. Buckner can't umpire in a game with the, the Cardinals? No, he's he's managed games since uh, against, uh, not against, or that have involved the Cardinals this spring. They put that behind him. Was it unprofessional? Absolutely. Was it wrong? Absolutely. I'm sure he was spoken to. And I won't comment on whether I feel C.B. Buckner is competent or not. That's not my place. He's employed by Major League Baseball, and I'm not the conscience of the sport. Uh, but I will say that, yes, there are certain umpires that are better than others. And when those are, uh, other umpires make mistakes, it's it's usually blown up a lot more because it happens uh, a lot more frequently than all of us would like. But uh, I've, met, I've met C.B. He's a, he's a very nice man, and I know he's doing everything he can to be as correct as possible, as they all are. But it's unfortunate that what happened last year rolled over into a spring training game. It shouldn't have happened, and uh, hopefully it won't happen again. It, was, it wasn't professional. It wasn't right, and baseball rightly took care of it. Yeah, and, you know, and uh, I had an old friend, of, uh, an old acquaintance of both you and me, Tracy Clayton, on the show, and he does a lot of mm-hmm. uh, statistical work, and he's worked with the Astros and all that. And, and we got to talking sure. about umpiring and things like that. And, you know, the it is amazing when you consider all the things they have to you know, regulate and and officiate within the course of a game, you know, by and large, they really do an outstanding job. Well, Roy, I, I've said all the time about uh, about the 26th man on a big league roster. He may not be the best player on his team right now, but he was the best player on every team he played on before he got here. It's the same for the umpires. These guys are at the top of their craft, and it is, again, there's Vin Scully as broadcasters, and then there's schlubs like me, right? You notice the difference, <laughs> and it's the same with umpires or players or writers or what have you that's just the nature of the beast 
Uh, but yes, you're right. I, I think that, that with replay, we tend to analyze the things that they get wrong instead of celebrating the things that they get right. I, for one, am not a big fan of all the technology in the game. I don't like all the reviews. I don't like all the stupid replays. And I hate the idea of an automated strike zone. I understand that these things are probably going to come and you have to adapt to it or die. But ultimately, it's a game, a tough game played by tough men. And umpires have a very, very tough job. And by and large, they do an outstanding job at what they do with television and as many games that are as on as uh, we have nowadays. Every mistake is magnified. And that's unfortunate because, again, as I said, the vast majority of the time they get it right. And I think that should be celebrated, whether it's a a terrific umpire or not. All right. So uh, the rules changes that that you've seen so far in spring training, I mean, it's it's not a huge sample size. But uh, what are your thoughts on those so far? Well, it's worked as they intended it to. It shaved about a half hour off the time of games. And these are spring training games. Uh, my only concern is how fast is going to be too fast. Uh, I, I don't think anybody really cares about uh, uh, time of game as much as pace of game. Uh, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of changes in the games, pitching changes and the like that are happening mid innings. I don't know how that will affect things when we get into game play. Uh, are we going to have, uh, we're obviously going to have fewer substitutions. Is that going to make the game pace too fast? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, the rule book states that a pitch is supposed to be thrown within 20 seconds. Umpires and players and managers, coaches, front offices didn't want to fight that fight, so they had to legislate this 15-second rule and then 20 seconds with men on base. Uh, there is a great pace to the game. It's, it's no different than the way games were done and played in the 1980s. We've just trimmed a whole lot of the fat out of it that, that really did suck time out of the game. But the converse side of that is if the game's quicker, you can't sell as many beers and hot dogs. You can't get as many promotional <laughs> items in. And from a TV standpoint, look, we're in the entertainment business. Our job is to highlight and focus on and show how great these athletes are with replays and packages and stories and graphics and things that hopefully entertain, uh, enhance the uh, entertainment experience. If we don't have time to do that, I think we're shortchanging the audience at home. So, uh, my guess is that this will be adjusted in some way, shape, or form. Don't know when, don't know how. But uh, the, the reaction I've gotten as far as the, the pitch clock has been very, very positive. People enjoy it. Um, you know, again, one other quirk that, that people haven't thought about is, you know, if you get thirsty and have to go to the bathroom, you could miss an inning and a half waiting in line to get a hot dog at a game. <laughs> and, again, I don't, know, I don't know how that's going to be thought of from fans who are paying big league prices to see nine innings of baseball. But that's another point. Um, not a big fan of the step-off rule. I think it's kind of dumb. Uh, you know, I think you should. My, I would rather have them have five step-offs per inning and concentrate on the guy that's a real threat to steal bases. Uh, I think that does change the competition, so to speak. I like the idea of the smaller bases maybe creating more stolen base attempts because that's very, very exciting. Uh, the shift rules, we haven't seen too much uh, finagling with that with the outfielders moving over to the shallow right field spot for the pull hitters. I'm sure that will be the case once regular season comes into play. Uh, but ultimately, what they've done, in my opinion, is dumb down the game and uh, not force hitters to utilize the big holes that, that the sport is giving them. Uh, I think you got to be able to defend how you want to defend, and if the hitter can't adjust, that's on them. But offense is up, more action is up, uh, which is what baseball wanted. Time of game is down. So from that standpoint, uh, in the articles I've read, uh, and I know I'm being long-winded here, but from what I've read, uh, it, it's been an overwhelming success, which is what baseball was hoping to see happen, and, and kudos to them for trying it. Yeah, you know, and, and you bring up something that I have always thought of too, because it's like you know, you talk about you know, over the course of time, you know, 
on defense, the shift came into play and they started using the analytics and, and it made that an impact on the game. But what we're kind of shortchanging on the, you know, is making the offense adjust. Yeah, you know, by by out well, right. <laughs> well, right. Well, you know, they kind of baseballs let the fox in the hen house, and I mean, I mean that with ultimate uh, compliment. Yeah, Theo Epstein's the guy that was instrumental in all this stuff happening in our game. And I read an article from someone today about him, and he said, "Look, uh, having the best analytical department does nothing for having the best entertainment product on the field." And I think that's where the the analytics versus uh, old school baseball civil war that has taken place in our sport has missed the point. None of us are against information. None of us are against finding an edge and trying to find a way to win a game. But what we are interested most of all, especially those of us who work in the media side, is entertaining our audience because if the fans find the product boring. You know, winning is great to a point, but you got to have fun doing it. And watching strikeouts, walks, and homers in four-hour games every week with the Yankees and Red Sox is tedious at best. <laughs> uh, hopefully those things have gone by the, the, the way of the dodo and we can get back to a blend of using information in a great way to put an entertaining product on the field where we can showcase just how great these guys are. These are really phenomenal athletes. I miss the days of seeing Ozzy Smith ranging to his left, diving, scrambling to his feet, and throwing a guy out. <laughs> Tell me the last time you saw a play like that in the major leagues more than once a week. Mm-hmm. It's the dumbest thing ever, right? You know, you shift, it's a ground ball, and there's an out. It's boring. <laughs> I want to see these athletes be athletic, and I think some of these rules, and I know I'm contradicting myself, I think some of these rules are going to help show that, which in the grand scheme of things will be entertaining. It'll be great to see. And ultimately, it'll be extremely profitable for all of us because it'll turn people on to just how fun this game can be. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I I, I look at your career, Chip, you know, and, and, and you know, the it, it really is remarkable to think, you know, you've worked for the Cubs, you know, you you know, and and the long legacy you have. You now work for the Cardinals, and they have a super long, amazing legacy. And you work for the Atlanta Braves, who, while they've been around longevity-wise since Boston days, they really have only, you know, are thought of of a great legacy franchise in the last 30-plus years. But to have worked with all three of those clubs is uh, quite a remarkable thing. Yeah, I'm a, I'm really a blessed person. Uh, you know, I, as I said, I, when I came to Atlanta from Chicago, when I went to Chicago, I envisioned never leaving. Uh, it was time to go when I was, when I was uh, there after seven years. When I went to Atlanta, I went to be with my dad because I didn't know him particularly well and got to be with him and spend time with him in his final years, and I wouldn't trade that for, for anything. I could have stayed in Chicago if I wanted to. I chose to be with him and, and start a new chapter in Atlanta. And as I said, after 20 years with the Braves, um, I made it very clear that it was my hope to retire there. It just wasn't in the cards, if you will, to pardon the fun. <laughs> and when the St. Louis job opened up, heartbreakingly so, um, you know, they called me and I was interested. And, and as we say, we found a meeting of the mind. So, yeah, I, I understand how fortunate I am to work for three great franchises, three iconic franchises. And at this age, 58 years old and, and uh, four kids and changing careers, so to speak, in midstream, with all due respect, takes a lot of guts to do that. Well, it's not easy. It's not something I took lightly. Uh, but I'm very, very excited about it and very, very humbled and honored to be welcomed into a a fraternity in St. Louis that includes guys like Jack Buck and Harry Carey and Joe Garagiola and yes, Dan McLaughlin, the man who preceded me in that chair. So, uh, you know, again, I'm thankful for everything I've accomplished. I wouldn't change a damn thing about any of it. 
because uh, I'm happy where I am. And, and as you said a couple of times, getting to go back home is a very, very exciting proposition. Yeah. And, and the, the other amazing thing is, I mean, this will be the first time in, what, over 50 years there hasn't been a carry at the microphone for Atlanta? <laughs> yeah, 46 years. Uh, yeah, and that's the hard part. Look, like I said, I, I didn't take leaving lightly. Uh, the broadcast people in the truck were uh, – uh, phenomenal people. They're they're so talented. They're they're not friends. They're family. They're not coworkers. They're they're part of my family. I saw them more than I saw my family over the last fourteen years. There, um, it just became more and more challenging uh, on a day to day basis to try to um, <laughs> to try to do what's right by the audience as opposed to what was uh, asked of us at times in the booth. And I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, as I said, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity, grateful to have been there. Wouldn't change a thing other than uh, uh, even considering leaving. Because, look, that's a legacy job in Atlanta. You shouldn't even think that there's another side of the fence, much less see the fence itself. But unfortunately, that was the case. That was the, the style there. And as I said, it just got harder and harder year after year to uh, – to, uh, uh, try to measure up to to uh, those expectations, I guess I would put it. So I'm in a happy place where they value what I am. They want me to do and be myself and uh, uh, do my thing with a couple of really great partners, and I, I couldn't be thrilled, uh, more thrilled or happy about that. Yeah, and I guess the only thing you'll have to worry about is uh, not walking into the wrong booth when you go to Atlanta, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've got all September. I've got until September to practice that. So no, it, you know, it'll be. It'll be nice to we play the Braves the second series of the year in St. Louis, so that'll be great, just like regular times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we go back to Atlanta in September for four days. So, uh, I, again, as I said, I leave with no ill will. I leave with nothing but gratitude and happiness. And I uh, can't wait to see all my friends and colleagues and give them all big hugs and have fun and have laughs. And, and uh, you know, just uh, I'm going to be myself. And as I said to the people in St. Louis, you're going to love me or hate me, but one thing you won't be able to say is, you're not going to not get me. So uh, that's that's the best I can do, and that's what I certainly did in Atlanta. I'm proud of that. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, as a long-time Braves fan, you know, I, I've always appreciated the work you've done. You know, you will be missed. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I subscribe well, to the And, you know, Brandon, Brandon Godin is the guy that got the, the job. He's going to follow me there. He'll do a great job. He's in great hands with that production team. I don't know an awful lot about his work other than he's he's been he's been successful and done some national things. And I hope that the people in Atlanta who love the Braves and love the broadcasts will allow him the luxury of going into the job just as they did with me. In our sport, change is hard. People don't like it. You know, it's just you get used to having that same familiar voice in your room every single night when you watch the games. And I'm sure he'll do a great job. I've, I've offered him my support and help in any way I can, I can give it. And uh, he'll be in good hands there. And I hope he has a great, successful run and starts a new chapter there. The, the Braves fans deserve nothing but that. And um, you know, as excited as I am in St. Louis, I'm very excited for the opportunity he has as well. Yeah, well, Chip, I uh, I do wish you the very best in this new journey for you. And uh, and as always, I I always value the uh, that you take time to do this podcast with me uh, every spring. It's always uh, always a pleasure to get to talk to you, and I always appreciate your time. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks. Take care. We'll see you soon. TV theme this time around, the original, well, not the original original, but this is the theme for March Madness and CBS College Basketball. That, to me, is still the greatest ever. The current edition is just fine. It works well. I like it, too. But as this tournament started to grow in popularity through the 1990s, this was it. 
and this is the one that college bands started playing. So you would hear all the horns. Fantastic stuff. This is just a tremendous theme. The March Madness CBS College Basketball theme, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Central Florida, it's Pebo Bryson. Baby, can you stop the rain? Double Grammy and double Oscar Award winner, Pebo Bryson, performing live at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival, Saturday, March 25th, at the beautiful Apopka Amphitheater, hosted by world-renowned saxophonist Kim Water, along with urban keyboardist Kayla Water and jazz violinist King of String, Ken Ford. Pebo Bryson, live. For complete details, log on to ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.